We're calling this Sunday uh, Giving Sunday because I'm excited to share with you an opportunity that we have to partner together for uh, the gospel in a special project. Most of, if not all of you, are aware of what I'm talking about. You hopefully received a case statement last week, or if you didn't, maybe you got one as you came in this week. If, if you haven't, we have some more available, and you can grab one as you leave today if you'd like to. This has been a part of our vision to renew our sanctuary and renovate our lobby space. It's been a part of the vision for the last three years. It was late in 2019 that we first began talking about a vision of renewal, and I expressed it to you in this way. In the next five years, we will focus on renewing Bethany's foundation for an overflow of God's presence in the Pioneer Valley and around the world. And there were four pillars of that vision uh, to renew things. And we see them on our screens. We see them on the walls every week. They're on the pillars of the sanctuary. They are to renew hunger, hope, heart, and hospitality. We've been working on this renewal in a variety of ways over the last three years. We've revamped our Wednesday evening services to include more time for prayer and an expression of our hunger for the Holy Spirit and the times we spend around the altars at the end. We've renewed our heart through a continued emphasis on missions giving. And we've given more to missions in the last three years than ever before. We've given scholarships for individuals to go on missions trips. And we're preparing for more missions trip opportunities in the coming years. We've renewed hospitality with our hospitality and our teams and our connect group ministries. We've renewed hope in a variety of ways as well. And I think that this is evident in the number of new families that have begun attending, in the number of baby dedications we recently did, in the number of new members we've been able to welcome recently and have been participating in ministries. We are renewing hope as well. But part of my vision and our vision together for renewed hope from the very beginning was seeing that we need to renew our facilities to better meet our needs provide greater opportunity for hospitality, and clearly communicate that while we are a historic church, we're not a church for the history books. We're leaning forward in expectation that God wants to continue to use us now and in the future as well. Bethany's history is one of growth and of expectation, and we want to continue that value and that vision well into the future. And so many of you have already seen this, but many of you probably have not yet. I want, to, I want you to take a look at a video that describes not only the need, but the vision for this project in a little more detail than we could put in the case statement. And hopefully it will help you understand not only the project, but a little bit more about the heart behind this renovation project. Turn your attention to the screens and take a look at this video. Bethany, our roots go back a long way, as you well know. Over a hundred years, well over by now, in 1904 to 1905, Mabel Weaver uh, built Peace Chapel at the corner of Springfield and Armory Streets in Springfield. 
the church from there grew and continued to experience the Lord's blessing and went through several programs of renovation and building as the congregation increased and more seating was required. In 1976, the congregation, still at Springfield and Armory Street, decided to move locations and purchased a piece of land, the land you're now sitting on and where our campus now rests. In November 1980, ground was broken. In 1982, the cornerstone was laid and the first service was held in this sanctuary on April 3rd, 1983. Continued growth required another building project on this present site and that facility focused on meeting the needs of our students and our children. And so in 1997, ground was broken on this addition that we now know as the Lighthouse and our Children's Wing and it was completed in 1998. Since then, there have been several other projects, including our parking lot and the driveway and the parsonage and other projects that the church has undertaken. And throughout all of these things, God has blessed and God has provided. In fact, just in February of last year, we were able to pay off the remainder of our debt and we are totally debt free. But now it's time for us to move forward into the renewed hope that God has for us in the future. It's time for us to renovate this space that has served us so well over the last 40 years. We want to make better use of the existing space that God has provided and maximize the benefit to the church and to our outreach to improve the functionality of the sanctuary and the stage and the backstage area for better usability to update and replace the aging and outdated aspects of the building, to improve the practical aspects of the building's usability, such as our heating and cooling and, and our seating, our acoustics, our sound and our video production ability. We wanna bring a new aesthetic that resonates with this and the next generation so that they understand that as a congregation, we have a value of being poised to move forward into the next part of the story that God has prepared for us. We want to create space for people to meet and encounter God and encounter brothers and sisters in Christ and continue to experience His presence here. First, we want you to know that we're not going to be changing the exterior in any significant way. The biggest change would probably be that you'll notice more windows as you come in because in our lobby area, we want to be able to have more natural light. And so we're gonna incorporate some more windows and some more glass in the lobby and hall areas that are adjacent to the lobby so that we have a brighter appearance and more natural light that comes in. As right now, there's very little natural light that comes in. So the renovation is gonna include opening up some of those areas to the exterior so that we can see in and out better and get more light. In addition to opening up the, the facade a little bit, the lobby is gonna be revamped to be more in line with the previous stated goals of functionality and aesthetic. The Greek style of ornamentation will be removed and new finished materials installed. We'll have some more modern architectural elements and lighting and furniture. And we wanna include a little bit of seating in our lobby area, though it is small so we can't put a lot. But I have some exciting news I'll share with you in just a moment that I think will help you understand where we can find more seating. In addition, there will be a space dedicated for those guests who come to be with us to get better acquainted with the church and make a connection with us. It'll be somewhat private and separated from the rest of the building while still maintaining a level of connection. And it'll be located where our current missions hallway is at. 
If you move down the hall in the opposite direction, you come to the area that will serve as our new cafe. You can think of this area as what is now our guest central area and a few empty rooms, including our bookstore and uh, office that's not being used and a couple of other rooms that we're going to open up and turn into a cafe. We're going to take over those rooms and use this as a, a location that is ideal because it's central to the circulation of the church after service when parents are meeting up with their children and the intersecting hallways meet in this location in the middle and we're going to open up the floor plan and create this new hub of interaction and connection. The cafe space is going to be useful for specific meals and functions like we use the fireplace room for and it's going to be near the main kitchen, provide space for seating, and it'll be a pleasant location for a variety of uses. In addition to this, we want it to be a space where people are encouraged to come early, to stay after, and to connect and fellowship with one another. Right now, we really don't have a space like that. And as a result, we see a lack of fellowship prior to and after our services, that we want to use this space to continue to promote the value we have of renewing hospitality and encouraging connection among members of the body of Christ. Now, of course, the most important aspect of this building project will be the improvements that we make to our sanctuary space. Much like the lobby and our front hallways, the sanctuary has an architectural style which we do not feel reflects the heart of the church any longer. It's got a Greek style, and while it has served this church well for the last 40 years, we believe that it's time to press on toward what God has for the future. So the first step will be to remove the somewhat outdated ornamental features that decorate the walls and ceiling, to remove the chandeliers and the decorative woodwork on the ceilings and walls. We want to replace the pews with new, simple pews that do not have closed ends, replace the carpet and include a neutral color scheme. So the new sanctuary will be simpler and more modern. It'll prioritize functionality, but it will look like a sanctuary and it will keep Jesus and his salvation at the center. We will have some improvements to other elements that are so important to us as a congregation, like our sound. The cloud ceiling allows us to have acoustical treatments that prevent reverberation, as well as other acoustical treatments in the room that will help us to reduce hot spots that we now have, as well as to be able to equalize the sound in the room. We will have uh, updated stage, a sound and video equipment, updated lights, and the ability to produce better videos and have better online presence as well. 
In addition to that, the stage will become more functional because we're going to improve its connection to backstage. Currently, we have no onstage access from the back of the stage. In this new design, we're going to prioritize access from backstage, which will help us in a number of ways. Think of how the choir has to come into the service every week or get down off of the stage every week in the dark oftentimes in order to go back to the choir room. Having direct access off stage will help to make those transitions smoother and less distracting. Not only that, but consider some of the large outreaches we do every year, like the singing Christmas tree. Currently, we have to put up pipe and drape to hide where the choir comes in or where our drama team comes in. If we have direct access to the stage, it will help to improve those presentations and help us to be able to more efficiently and effectively share the message we're trying to communicate. We're going to have an improved location for the baptismal and adjacent changing rooms. There will be more space on the stage by pushing back into the existing baptismal area. And there's going to be direct line of access from the hallway to the stage without changing levels, which helps us with those who have disabilities if they need to access the stage. The, the plan is to make this as usable and practical as possible so that we can have access when we need to without distracting what's going on during our services. This is such an important project for us. It's been a part of the vision of this church for the last three to five years. We want to renew hope. And renewing hope means putting our best foot forward and demonstrating that we believe God has a purpose for this congregation in the future. And we demonstrate that by how we use the space and steward the resources God has provided for us. It's obvious that it's time for us to steward those resources by making this renovation. I want to encourage you that you would help us to see this project through and that we could together step into the vision of renewed hope God has for this congregation. As I said earlier, you should have received a case statement either last week or this week as you came in, and that case statement gives some highlights about the opportunity that we have and why the leadership of this congregation desires to pursue it. And inside, you found some renderings, and I'm not going to go over those in detail as I think that the video does that better than I could, but please note that the colors and finishes of the renderings aren't final. The, the carpeting in the sanctuary is not going to be as light as you see in the renderings or on the video. Um, but we do, want to, we do want to provide you some idea, some visual idea, and this is a great representation of what the layout will be and what the style is going to be. And on the back of the case statement, you'll see that we want to give you the opportunity to participate in this project financially. And the estimated cost of the project is $3.5 million, and we have three goals regarding that. The first goal is to have $500,000 cash on hand designated to this project before the end of this year. Goal number two is to have three-year faith commitments for the remaining $3 million. So over a period of three years, faith commitments from this congregation to take care of the rest of that debt. And then that makes uh, the final goal that on uh, December 31st, 2025, we would like to, or before then, pay off 
the loan that we would take out for this, for this project. Now, that may strike you as ambitious or even unreasonable. It certainly is ambitious. And I will, I'm going to share some good news with you in a few moments and describe how we can do this. But first, I want to remind you about a couple of biblical principles of giving And as I do, I want to ask that you just keep your heart open and prayerfully consider how the Lord is leading you to participate in this project. I want to read to you Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. If you have a Bible, you can get that out. If you'd like to use one in the back of the pew, you can, or there uh, is the scripture on the screen. Luke chapter 16, 1 through 9 says this, Jesus also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now obviously the point of this story is not to commend underhanded financial practices. Jesus was sharing a common story then, and it's common now as well, to make a point. He was simply saying financially savvy people know how to manipulate other people and money in order to secure their futures. Could be the shrewd manager in the first century or insider trading, embezzlement, or a Ponzi scheme in the 21st century. And Jesus' point is simple. Worldly people know how to use resources to secure their futures here on earth. Shouldn't the people of God understand how to use resources in a way that benefits and secures a much longer-term future and a much more important future. So I want to share with you just two simple principles from this parable as we think about giving, especially giving toward this project. And the first is this, use your resources to bless others. Verse 9 again says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This is our commitment as a church, that we want to be a blessing to other people. That's why we are undertaking this project. We don't want to reduce as we undertake it the other ways that we bless people. For instance, we have no intention of reducing what we do for missions. I'm excited to tell you that from last November through the end of October, we gave just over $500,000 as a congregation to missions. During that same period, we've sent out more than $570,000 for outreaches, missionaries, missions organizations, and special missions projects all over the world. Each month as a congregation, we give more than $34,000 in regular contributions to missionaries and missions organizations serving all over the world. That's far more 
than any uh, required payment of, for a mortgage would be for this project. We intentionally waited to have Giving Sunday until a couple of weeks after our missions convention because I did not want to take any steam away from what we do for missions, for the need that we have to continue to support the work of God around the world. It's my desire that we would continue to give just as generously to missions now as we always have. And that's the commitment that Andrea and I have made in our missions giving and in giving to this project. In fact, since part of the point of this project is to help to propel us forward in growth, my hope is that as we grow, we'll be able to give even more to missions. Consider this as well. The intention of this project is not just to bless ourselves. It is to bless others. We want to take care of the resources that God has provided for us and to uh, continue to encourage believers and to reach those who don't know Christ. Read Luke 16, 8 to 9 with me again. It says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. The Bible teacher Daryl Bach commented, Jesus is saying that God's children, who have a heavenly future, should be as diligent in assessing the long-term effect of their actions as those who do not know God are in protecting their earthly well-being. We all know the anxieties we have about ensuring our future here on earth, making sure that our families are taken care of, that they're provided for, that they're safe. We invest a lot in that, but we can also make an even longer-term impact. Consider that most of us are beneficiaries of what others sacrificed when we come to worship. In the early 1980s, many sacrificed for this building, and there are still some of them among us, but I would, I would venture that most of us are the beneficiaries of what someone else gave, of how they had a vision for the future, and they said, I want to bless not just myself, but the future generations with my resources. And so for the last 40 years, this congregation has, a, has had an appropriate place to worship the Lord, not just because we give, but because people 40 years ago had a vision for how thousands of lives could be touched and changed and people could come to faith, that believers could be encouraged, and generations would have a place to worship and be strengthened in the Lord. And now it's our turn. We want to make a lasting impact, not just for the immediate future, but for down the road. The, this project is not just about us. It is also about paving the way for those who are going to come after us. We want to increase our effectiveness in reaching people with the gospel and continue as a beacon for the good news in our region. At the same time, we want to, play, we want to prepare a place where our kids and grandkids will be able to come and to worship Jesus and to grow and to serve. So what we're asking you to do when you partner with us in this project is to use your resources to be a blessing to other people. You'll bless those that we're gonna be able to reach in the near future. You'll be a blessing to the next generation who will be able to gather and worship here. And you'll bless people's lives for eternity. You should use your resources to bless others. And the second principle I want to point out to you from Luke 16 comes from verses 10 to 12. Jesus said this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. 
If you then, who, uh, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? This is the principle. You should be faithful with the little bit that you've received. Whatever you have comes from the Lord. It's all a gift from him. And sometimes people say that wealth ruins character. I think a more accurate statement is that wealth reveals character. God may have given you a lot. That's good. You can faithfully use it for his kingdom. He may have given you a little. That's fine. Faithfully use it for his kingdom. Whether rich or poor, many people react to calls for generosity by thinking of how little they have. I I don't have enough to give to that. I, I can't possibly give because I have so little. And even wealthy people can react with stinginess because wealth is never enough to secure us. And so if a wealthy person is relying on their wealth to be their security and their comfort, then they'll be hesitant to give as well because in the end they'll want to keep that for their comfort rather than recognizing that God is their security. But the person who understands that what they have comes from the Lord, that he's their provider, has the freedom to be able to respond with generosity and use what they've received from God to partner with his work in the world. Think about the parable that Jesus told and the parallel and implications for the kingdom of God. God could certainly just do things by himself without giving his people resources and expecting that they would steward them well. And yet he has chosen to make us stewards of those resources and accomplish his work through us. So no matter how little you feel you have, use it for the Lord. Be faithful in the little God has given you and he will set you over much. That's not a scheme to get rich, it's just a scheme to live faithfully and biblically like the scripture says. And this principle brings up an an important point concerning this renovation in the capital campaign. We know not everyone can give equally, but we can all have equal commitment. You don't have much to give? That's no problem. Be faithful with what God has given you and use it for his purposes. And on this point, I want to challenge young people in particular You may think, I'm young, I'm just getting started in life, I don't have a lot to give, I don't have as much as those who maybe have been able to build wealth for a little while. That's okay. Be faithful with what you've received from God and give in faith. There were many young people who 40 years ago saw the vision for what God was doing and contributed what they could at the time so that we can enjoy the sanctuary that we've been enjoying for the last 40 years. Now you have the opportunity to be a blessing, not only to your own generation, but to the next generation as well. And In the end, we've all only been given a little. No matter how big you think your wealth is compared to someone else, or how little you think it is, we've all only been given a little relative to God's riches. We've all only got a little. And what we do with it is a test, this passage says. That what we use our resources for is an indication of what God will entrust to us in the future. If you're faithful with a little in the present, God will be able to entrust with you true eternal riches in his kingdom. 
We've seen these two principles about our resources. You should use your resources to bless others, and you should be faithful with what little you've received. And I know that we're talking about money, and that can make some people nervous. It makes me nervous. I'm a pastor. I'm not a salesman. I didn't go to school for how to get people to give me their money. That wasn't a class I took in seminary. How to get people to contribute. That wasn't something that was on the syllabus. Yet if we take God's word seriously, he is interested in what we do with our money, isn't he? And I consider it actually a privilege to be able to partner with you in missions giving and in tithes and offerings and in preaching the good news and we do that together in part by what we give. Still, when some people hear the church ask for money or pastors talk about money, their first inclination is to scoff. And I suppose that's somewhat understandable. Uh, there are many fake preachers and, and preachers on TV that uh, look a little bit like they can't be trusted and like their only interest is in people's money. However, part of that inclination may not be because of our skepticism, but because people tend to have hard hearts about resources. As Jesus spoke about money in this parable in Luke 16, a group of devoutly religious men listened in. And when he was done, this was their response. It says in verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. They ridiculed Jesus, not because Jesus couldn't be trusted, but because they were lovers of money. This morning, as I make an appeal to you to give, don't become a scoffer because you want to protect your money. Instead, be faithful with what God has given you and use it to bless others. The sense that we need to preserve our money may be heightened right now more than any other time in our lives. People are scared. They're scared by world events. They're scared by the economy. They're wondering what will happen in the future. But friend, your money cannot secure you against war or a bad economy, and it certainly can't solve the issues our world is facing. But the gospel of Jesus can solve those issues. We want to partner together to continue to provide a place where the gospel can be preached faithfully for generations. And it does this, the gospel does this, one heart at a time as people encounter Jesus. This project is about ensuring that Bethany continues to be a place where people can encounter Jesus as the good news is proclaimed, and as they meet the people of God that the building houses, that we can encourage and bless the Pioneer Valley for decades more. For some, I know that the inclination can be to say that the church shouldn't be concerned with a building's appearance or with external things, and that what, what we could do is just kind of try to patch it together and, and, and try to do it in a way that's less expensive. Let me assure you, we have been patching it together We've had to repair pews that have fallen through and cracks in the walls and, and try to re-glue carpet down. We have been faithfully stewarding and patching together for a long, long time. But I want you to consider this as well. We don't want to spend money in a manner that's frivolous. And those who know me best know that I don't do that. I'm still trying to find jeans and tennis shoes for $20 when I go shopping. It doesn't work. That's just, I'm like, Andrea, this is too much. These are $30 jeans. We can't afford these. We're not doing this. My jeans, when I was a young man, were $20, and I'm not going to pay any more today. That's me. I'm sorry. It's just how I am. I don't spend frivolously, typically. But I'm also reminded of a story from the Bible in this regard. Some of the Jews had returned from exile in Babylon, and they had been instructed by the prophets to rebuild the temple of God that had been destroyed. 
And they delayed doing it over and over again. They put it off over and over. They kept saying, this isn't the right time. This isn't a good time for us. And and we don't have what we need. And we're not going to be able to do it. We have other priorities right now. And then God sent the prophet Haggai with a question for them. And the question was this. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now I know that this building is not the temple. And I know that it's not in ruins as it stands right now. And yet this house is the house that houses the house of God. It houses us. We are the temple. We are the people of God. We are the house of God. And this is the house that houses the house. Sometimes we'll spend money on updating our homes, getting a new car, upgrading our cell phone, even though the old one works fine. But then we're hesitant when the church needs to be repaired or renovated. We convince ourselves of the necessity for our needs, but we suggest that it's a bad thing for the church or that the church has worldly motives. Friends, we haven't been opulent in this design. We've done what is necessary and will help us more effectively worship and reach this valley in the coming decades. And what we want to ask is, will you help us make that happen? As you came in today, there should have been a commitment card in your pew when you sat down that says grounded and growing on the top. I want to ask if you go ahead and you take that card in your hand and, and if you didn't get one and you'd like one, would you just lift up your hand? We have some ushers. They'd be happy to get you one if there's not one near you on the pew. Anybody like that, you can just lift up your hand. This card expresses the three goals I spoke to you about earlier to remind you. The first goal is to have $500,000 for the project in hand by December 31st. The second goal is to receive three-year faith commitments for the remaining $3 million so that we can complete the third goal and pay off any money we borrow by December 2025. And I want to ask you to partner with us this morning in two ways. By giving a gift to the project, either today or before the end of the year, and then by committing to give over the next three years, whether you give weekly, monthly, quarterly, or yearly, that you commit to give over the next three years to help us to finish and pay off this project. Now, I know that this sounds like a lot, $3.5 million. It, It is a lot, but God is able, and I know that his people here at Bethany have been faithful. We have a history of faithfulness. And I want to challenge you to give generously. This week, as I was getting ready, I looked up the average car payment in America. According to several sources, the average monthly payment for a new car is $667, and a used one is $515. We would only need about 125 people to give $667 a month to meet this goal. But if you're anything like me, your car payment is not anywhere near $667 a month. So let's just cut it in half just for fun. We'd still only need 250 people to give $333 a month in order to meet that goal. That may still seem difficult, but it does kind of put it in perspective and in terms that we can understand. There's a table on the back of that case statement as well that would help you to understand what would it look like for me or my family to give a certain amount over three years and giving weekly or, or monthly or quarterly. What would that look like? Now, I want to share something with you as well. Before you start filling out that card, I want to share something with you to encourage you as you do. I've already spoken with our pastoral staff and our board and and some of the other leaders and faithful members of our congregation. I presented this vision to them, and I asked them to make a commitment prior to today to get us moving forward with this project 
And so we already had some funds that were set aside toward the capital campaign. And with the addition of the commitments that were made by Andrea and I and our pastoral staff and board members and leaders in the congregation, we have commitments for $459,566 toward goal one. So that is, with the money we already had on hand, plus those commitments, we already have about $460,000 in hand or committed before the end of the year, which doesn't leave us a lot for goal number one. So goal number two, that same group has already committed to give $513,620 over the course of the next three years to help us pay off this project. So we have almost a million dollars either on hand or in commitments already toward this project. That's a pretty significant chunk from a relatively small group of people in our congregation. So even before asking you this morning, we're well on our way to meeting these goals, and the leadership of this congregation is committed to this project. And we want to praise the Lord for that. We want, amen. Praise God. We've got a good start. And we want to begin this project as quickly as possible after the beginning of the new year so that we can get it done as soon as possible. We stated in the business meeting we would like to try to start uh, in January so that hopefully we could be done before uh, and be back into our sanctuary before next December and the Christmas season. That is our goal. It's a lofty goal. It may not happen, but we certainly don't want to miss more than one Easter in the sanctuary. And so we want to get it going as quickly as possible at the beginning of the year and then get it done as quickly as possible so we can be back in the sanctuary as soon as we can. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and as they do, we're going we're gonna to take a few moments, and they're going to lead us in a song. And, and before you fill anything out, and may, maybe you need a few moments to think about this, I understand that perfectly. And I want to ask you, as they, as they sing and lead in worship, would you take a few moments, and would you ask the Lord what you could do? Maybe your family's with you. Maybe you want to uh, talk with your family and, and you know, talk talk quietly, but talk with your family and ask them what, what the Lord is leading them. Talk with your spouse and ask him or her how the Lord is leading. And this is what we're asking you to do. The faith commitment is over three years, and the, 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 the timing of that and how you give, you can mark that. What, we, what we're asking you to do is to mark the total of that faith commitment over three years, so don't write um, what you'll give monthly, right? What you plan to give total over three years, and then you can write, well, I, I think I can do that monthly or weekly. That's how the card looks. And then the, the first goal is on there as well. If there's an amount you want to give today, you can give. If you want to say, I'd like to make a gift before the end of the year to help with goal one, you can mark that on there as well. And talk for a couple of moments, pray for a moment, and ask what the Lord would have you to do. And, and I'm challenging you to give beyond what you already do. This is above and beyond tithes and offerings. We don't want to cut back on missions, faith, promise in order to do this because we want to continue to be a church that, that ministers and supports missionaries all over the world. So I'm challenging you to give above and beyond to make a lasting impact for the future generation and for eternity. Take a few moments and pray and then write down what God would have you to give. Once you've filled out the card, there should be an envelope there. You can place it in there. If you have an initial offering that you want to include, you can put it in that envelope as well. If you're more of an online person, there is a digital version of this card available on the Church Center app as well as on the Bethany website under the Quick Links tab. 
You'll find a renovation page. It has a digital form of the case statement. It's got the video you saw this morning. If you want to watch it again or share it with somebody, you can. And it's also got an opportunity for you to fill out a digital uh, commitment card there as well. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord, what would you have us to do? And let's, let's, let's listen carefully and allow him to challenge our hearts because I believe that this is something that will make an impact for many, many years to come and for future generations. Just as we're sitting here this morning, 40 years after this place was built, should Jesus wait to return? Should his return be delayed? It would be my hope and desire that we would have kept the sanctuary in such a state. Maybe it won't be this renovation. It might have to be updated again before then, but that in 40 or 50 years from now, that there will still be a congregation worshiping, serving, and evangelizing in the Pioneer Valley called Bethany Assembly of God. And we want to make sure that that happens. This is about setting a precedent for the future and renewing our hope. As the worship team sings, will you ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do Today, I want to give. I want to give faithfully. I want to trust you. I want to use my resources to bless others. You can have what little I have, Lord. What would you have me to do? Let's take a moment and ask the Lord, and then you can fill those cards out.